empty phrase the treasure that fades are never enough and you came along you came along and put me back together and now every desire is now satisfied Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. How are we doing? Excellent, excellent. Once again, happy Father's Day to you. So glad to have you with us here today as we are uh, not just uh, celebrating dads, but the real point of what we're doing here today is celebrating the great, our great dad, our God in heaven, who saves us through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, and no better way to celebrate Father's Day than to worship the Lord in baptism that celebrates us becoming sons of God. And that's exactly what we're going to do here today. So I want to invite uh, Lars down. Come on down, Lars. Step right over here. Just turn and stand for a minute. All right. So I uh, had the opportunity over the last several weeks to spend some time with Lars and just hear his heart, what God has been doing in him, uh, how God has stirred in him in salvation and uh, tracked me down uh, because he's actually here. So he's active duty serving and uh, looking to be doing a little bit of traveling here soon. And so he said, man, I, I only got, I got a short window. Is there any way we can do baptism before I, uh, I've got to duck out? And I said, Absolutely. Father's Day is going to be perfect for that. So, uh, so again, celebrating today our great dad by worshiping the Lord in baptism and celebrating again the fact that Lars uh, being a son of God through faith in Jesus Christ. How cool is that? That's exciting. So, Lars, do me a favor. Turn around for me. Perfect. Have a seat. Excellent. Very good. So, Lars, hearing your testimony, your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, and the fact that through faith in him, you are now uh, a son of God and brother in Christ. So with that, it is my honor and my privilege to now baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Stand up for me. All right, let me pray for you before you leave, all right? All right. Well, let's pray for Lars. 
he actually, believe it or not, he's going to dry off, change his clothes, and he is uh, leaving immediately. Like he's gone, gone. He's heading out. And so this was his last thing before heading out. Uh, and so we want to take some time to pray blessings on him and safety uh, as he goes out uh, uh, serving our country. So let's lift Lars up, okay? Lord, we just thank you, God, for what you're doing. We thank you, God, for, for Lars. We thank you, God, just for his testimony, God, of bringing the faith in you. We thank you, God, that you are just um, using him. I pray, God, as he goes out, Lord, that you would, um, God, just, obviously, we pray for his safety. But, God, we pray that as he goes out on mission, Lord, now as a son of God, he is going out not just on mission for this country, but on mission for his good dad and his God. I pray, God, that as he goes out, he sees you everywhere he goes, and that he is walking as a son of God. Thank you for him, Lord. We pray your blessings on him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, hey, let's stand. Let's worship together. Amen. Good morning, church. Let's celebrate. I can see the clouds rolling. I can see the winds, they try to shake me. I will not be moved. My feet are on the rock. waters rise I can hear the howling lies that on me fear won't hold me now my feet are on the rock when I feel my hope about to break I will cling to your unchanging grace let the waters come and the earth give way I'll be dancing in the
church, yes.
you for that truth today. And God, I pray that you would move in our lives and in our hearts. God, I pray that you would be pleased with our worship, that you would call your children to be glorious, righteous, and holy as you are glorious and righteous and holy. We proclaim that you are God and there is no other. We celebrate today. Let's sing. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus 
Amen. You guys may be seated. Oh, amen. Amen. You can have a seat, guys. Hey, if you have a Bible, let's find Genesis chapter 1 together. Genesis chapter 1. While you're finding that, I'm going to walk back down here and grab my water bottle. So, if you were with us on Mother's Day, uh, I told you that for Mother's Day and then now here today for Father's Day, we're going to do a little two-part series on biblical manhood and womanhood. We, of course, did biblical womanhood on Mother's Day, and today, Father's Day, we're going to do biblical manhood. And I gave you an example on Mother's Day, uh, kind of a cultural example of why this is something that should be important to us as a church. I told you that Facebook currently has over 80 different gender options that you can choose from. Uh, not just, you thought there were two. <laughs> no. The geniuses of Facebook have discovered over 80 that you could potentially choose from. I'll give you another example for today. Why this matters, why we have to talk about it, why we have to ferociously hold the line on it. Don't do it now because you're going to get mad, throw your phone in the middle of church. But write this down and Google it later. Blue's Clues LGBTQ. All right? Write it down. Blue's Clues, LGBTQ. Anybody remember Blue's Clues? You have kids, right? You got a little dog. Been around for a long time. So, so it's a show geared towards small children, preschoolers. So they just came out with a video uh, a couple of weeks ago for June uh, Pride Month where this little dog, the Blue, Blues, whatever, right? So he, he is in a parade with a cartoon drag queen who is singing a song to your preschooler about how good and accepting and right it is to live out every form of sexual deviance you could possibly imagine. All to the tune of a nursery rhyme. Uh, they are, the, the, when I say they, I mean Satan and his forces, are seeking to radically redefine what it means to not just live biblical manhood or womanhood, but just natural historical biblical manhood and womanhood. And you know how fast this is going? Imagine if you went back in time, right? You invented the flux capacitor, you went back in time to a distant, far-off, ancient time, I don't know, maybe the mid-90s. And you would throw out some of these words, right? Cisgender. Pansexual. What does that mean? Completely made up words. Trying to completely radically redefine just what it means to be a man and be a woman. And so for us as a church, I, I, I know that it can feel oftentimes like why is it that the church talks so much about this, talks so much about 
manhood and womanhood and sexuality and what is, what is the right view of sexuality. Why do you talk so much about that? And the answer is this. It is not because we hate those who are opposed to that. The reason we do it is because it is an all-out attack against it. We, you cannot turn on your television. You cannot flip open your phone. You can't check the weather without an ad on the bottom telling you how glorious and amazing this is. I don't do sermon series on the fact that we shouldn't kill puppies because nobody's doing that. Right? If, this, if our society decided it's perfectly great to just curb stomp a puppy, we'd preach on that one. Because that would be a bad thing. We don't. Why? Because our society doesn't want to do that. What our society does want to do is push a radical redefinition of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And not just, so now, a new definition of what it means to be, ta- remember, again, so again, let's go back in time. Like, you know, the year 2000. If you were to ask someone, define the word tolerance. What does tolerance mean? Tolerance, by definition, in the year 2000, would have meant you and I disagree on something, right? At the very root of tolerance has to be that you and I disagree. But we do that disagreement in a way that's kind and respectful, and you believe this and I believe that. We don't agree, but we're able to do that. We're able to disagree without, you know, punching each other, right? We tolerate. Tolerance now, in 2021, completely redefined. Now tolerance means That whatever position someone has, you have to not only agree with it, you have to celebrate it. And if you are not adequately celebrating whatever, complete, I almost said a bad word, completely ridiculous thing that someone comes up with, if you're not celebrating that, then you're a bigot. You don't, you're intolerant. And so what we have to do as a church is to allow the scriptures to be our foundation or a guiding light on everything. And we want to walk through this in a way that's kind and gracious and loving and winsome. We're not looking to unnecessarily offend anyone, but we hold to truth. And if truth offends, then truth offends. But we're going to hold to the truth. So, with that, today, we're going to chat just for a few minutes about biblical manhood. It is not going to be exhaustive. It's just going to be a short little primer, right? Just a few nuggets for us to think through. Uh, My goal for pastoral ministry, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, This is the third church that I pastored. I go into every church fully believing I'm going to retire out of that church, and I just keep pastoring that way until God just says, hey, do it somewhere else now. That's how he brought me here. My plan here, do this until I retire, right? So you've got me for a, my plan is you got me for a long time. I want to be a pastor until I'm 75 or 80, which means I'm going to be up here with a walker, just like swinging it around at people while I'm preaching, right? Tennis balls flying off, hitting people in the head. That's my plan. My plan is also to be married to my wife for 75 years, Admittedly, we got to be 98 and 99 for that to happen, so the odds are not in our favor, but that's the goal. So, so it's a marathon, not a sprint. We've got a lot to talk through, a lot of time for us to do that. But for us today, just a little primer, right? Just a little foundational points 
of what it means to be a biblical man. So let's jump in together to Genesis chapter 1. As we talk through these issues, manhood, womanhood, marriage, sin, as we do that for the next however many years God has us together, we're going to come back to Genesis a lot. Right? We come back to Genesis a lot. Because that's the beginning. Right? Where everything good and eventually bad comes together. If we do not have a right understanding of Genesis, specifically chapters 1 through 11, if we do not have a right understanding of that, we really miss everything else in the world. Right? So we probably need to circle in one day and do a good long series on chapters 1 through 11 just to kind of set a solid foundation for us. But, but that's, that's, that's paramount. So, so let's jump into Genesis chapter 1. We're talking about manhood. That's where we want to go. All right, so Genesis 1, let's pick it up in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. All right. So, a couple of just basic ideas about biblical manhood. All right, so first is this. we got to get this one out of the way first. Ready? Big idea number one. Manhood was God's idea, and he said it was very good. All right, manhood, masculinity. God's idea, he created it, he invented it. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. He created man, he created manhood, masculinity. And verse 31, we looked at his whole creation, man being part of that, manhood, masculinity, Adam. He said it was very good. It's God's idea, it's God's plan. He says it's very, very, very good. So we have a crisis in our society of how men are viewed. Men are viewed in normally one of two ways. Some in our society view men as the problem. Ultimately, at the end of the day, men are the problem. Uh, in the last 10 years or so, the term toxic masculinity gained a lot of traction. Toxic masculinity. If you ask anyone, well, what does it mean for toxic masculinity? First thing they'll talk about is just 
horrible things like you know abuse and rape and torture. Like, well, yeah, that's that's bad. Yeah, we're we're all on board with that. That's a bad thing. But then as you start talking to them, it gets deeper than that. Now, no, 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 it's not just if you actively seek to harm someone. Now we're into microaggressions. Now if you just, if you just stand tall, if you just act like a guy, right, this is it's toxic, it's patriarchal. So there's this massive push in our society to, to push down any form of masculinity, any form of, of, of what it means to just exude manhood. Uh, there are others that view men, quite honestly, as just idiots. Right? Classic example of this, any sitcom on television with a family. Just start paying attention. Any sitcom on television that has a family in it. The dad is a moron. Everyone. The dad's an idiot. Keeps messing everything, keeps messing everything up. Always making mistakes. Can't get anything right. At the end of the day, the kids and the talking dog have to save him. This is what our country, our society is telling you what they think of you. They either think you're a horrible, wicked, toxic abuser, or you're an idiot. The Bible thinks differently. But this idea of pushing down masculinity, this isn't a new thing. Uh, C.S. Lewis, one of the great Christian authors of all time, in his book, The Abolition of Man, which I cannot uh, um, encourage more highly, especially if you're in education, I would encourage you to read The Abolition of Man. It's really good. And in the abolition of man, Lewis says that his society, which was England during World War II, right, which you would think would be the height of masculinity, right? right? Like every young man in England going to fight wicked evil in Nazism, right? You would think, well, this is the height of masculinity. We're, we're excited about this. Men being strong and courageous. Lewis said, no, that's not what's happening. We send our young men off, but in our parties, the people that are staying behind they actually mocked it. He said, our society, I love this line. Lewis said, our society is creating men without chests. Men with no courage, no honor, no valor, no dignity, no worth, no strength. Lewis goes on to say, we mock things like honor and courage, and then we're shocked when we find cowards and traitors in our midst. You get what you expect. And so, so to some degree in our society, what we're even subconsciously telling our men is that you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this. Eventually, if you're told that's what you are, unless there is a guiding force, being God specifically, pushing you in the right direction, you start to live out what everyone told you that you are, right? And so we look at our society now. Increasingly, look at, Look at young men in their 20s. Young men in their 20s. Increasingly, more and more and more of our young men in our 20s, are they exuding bold, courageous strength? Are they exuding responsibility? Are they exuding um, selflessness on behalf of others? Most of them know. The average 25-year-old guy today is just a boy who can shave. Many of them still living in mom's basement, 
playing 18 hours of video games. And our desire for our church here is to create a different kind of male culture. A different kind of male culture that says, God calls you up to more. You don't have to be what society has deemed you to be. You can be better. God has created you for better. Jesus has redeemed you for better. You have been called up to more. And if you want to know what masculinity really looks like, we look to Jesus, right? If you want to know what's a man supposed to be, open your Bible and read about Jesus. This is who our example of being a man really is. Jesus was not a weak, limp-wristed, semi-masculine guy singing pop songs with feathered bangs, getting his feelings hurt easily. Jesus was a strong, masculine, tough man who knew how to take a punch, take an attack, and keep standing. He fought Satan to redeem his people. This is our king. This is our example. Gentlemen, be like your king. What we want to do when we're talking about creating a different kind of male culture here is we set Jesus up as the example. And we call all men to submit their lives to him. Be like him. Be like Jesus. This is the answer. This is who our great God and Savior is. This is who our example is. Uh, the, the theological term would be our Christus exemplar, our example, Christ our example. How do you be a man? Live like Jesus. Love like Jesus. Be strong like Jesus. Fight like Jesus. So, manhood is God's idea. He created it. He designed it. It was good. And then he gives us a couple of things to do. All right, so a couple of things that's, that come off from this. God created manhood, and now he gives us a couple of directives from that. All right, first is this. Manhood represents God. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So that first line, God created man in his own image. So there's some conversation about what that looks like. So first, being created in the image of God does not mean that we look like God. God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body. So it's not that we look like God. But there are certain characteristics in God that are in us now. So in that way, we're bearing out his image. So God is eternal. Therefore, we have the opportunity for eternal life. God is relational. Therefore, we have the opportunity for relationship. God hates injustice, so we hate injustice. God is intellectual in reasoning, therefore we have intellect and reasoning ability. So we're bearing out the image of God. But, but the bigger thing that I want you to get is this. The big idea as we bear out the image of God is this. Gentlemen specifically. So for everyone, because Genesis 27 talks about not just man, but male and female all created in the image of God. But for our purposes today, guys, listen to me. You called by God to literally represent him here on earth. You bear out his image on earth. As you walk through life with your family, with your friends, at work, in your community, 
You are showing the world as a child of God, as a son of God, you are showing the world this is who God is. We represent him. 2 Corinthians 5.20 tells us that we are his ambassadors, Christ's ambassadors on earth. Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators of God. Be like God. As you walk through life, as you walk through difficulty, as you walk through pain, as you walk through hardship, as you walk through good times, do it in a way where you are showing the world this is who God is. So to give kind of a, a negative teaching point spin on it. In my pastoral counseling, I spent a great amount of time trying to untangle people's negative views of God based primarily off their negative views of their own dad. A lot of times you talk to people about who God is, and if you're listening closely, they're describing their dad. If they think God is harsh, probably dad was harsh. They think God is distant, probably dad was distant. They feel like God is always looking to catch them do something wrong, they probably felt like dad was always looking to catch them do something wrong. They felt like they just can't stack up to God. No matter how good I am, it's never going to be enough. They probably feel that way about their dad. But on the flip side, what we see as well is people who, by and large, have a positive view of God, they usually had a dad who loved Jesus and sought to imitate God. And when I say imitate God, guys, listen to me very carefully. I don't mean that you're perfect because you're not. Your children do not need to see you be perfect. They need to see you be humble. They don't need you to see you never fail. They need to see you be repentant when you do. They don't need to see you walk in absolute perfection with God. They need to see you walk faithfully with God. They know you're not perfect. Listen. 15 years from now, the Lynch kids are going to be sitting around a table drinking coffee, very easily pointing out all of dad's faults. Like, it's not going to be hard. You remember when dad did that thing? I thought we agreed never to discuss that again, right? What? The point isn't that you have to be perfect. The point is that you're walking in humility with God, and as a result of that, you are modeling something for them. As we walk in this world, in a world that again hates masculinity and pushes against masculinity, what this world needs is a group of men who are going to model godly masculinity. To some degree, I, I feel bad for the world because there are a lot of guys who have not done well. Can we agree on that? There are a lot of guys that have not manifested masculinity great. And so yeah, there are some jerks and some bums, man. And it's really easy to focus on them. So that's why we, by God's grace, are called to rise up and represent godliness. This is what the Lord has called you to. Uh, second thing is, though, not only are you called to represent God on earth, but also manhood is given responsibility by God. In verse 28 God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So when it says there, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, this is more than just have babies. All right, it's bigger than that. He's talking about this mandate they're being given to push forward the kingdom of God on earth. So when God created the earth, like he had the Garden of Eden, right? So, so you got earth and you got the Garden of Eden. And he places Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and tells them, all right, now what I want you to do is take this garden. Genesis 2.18 is going to say uh, the responsibility was to guard it and keep it, protect it and prosper it, right? And so do that, but then expand it out to the rest of the world. The world was wild and untamed, and their job, their responsibility was to push forward God's kingdom in the rest of the earth. Adam was given this responsibility. And you also are given a responsibility by God. What is this responsibility? Well, one, as a Christian, you're given the responsibility to push forward the kingdom of God with the gospel. Um, So listen to the Great Commission in Matthew 28. See if you can catch the similar language. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then again, Genesis 1, 28. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over everything. You hear the similar language? Go and fill the whole earth and have dominion. Go to the ends of the earth and make disciples. Same exact thing. Just like Adam was given a mission by God, you have been given a mission by Jesus Christ. To go and expand the kingdom. Just like Adam in the garden was called by God to guard it, keep it cultivate it, push it out, you have been given a call by Jesus Christ to take the gospel, guard it, keep it, cultivate it, and push it out. You're given a mandate, just like Adam was. But beyond that as well, gentlemen, if you're married, if you have kids, you're given a responsibility there. You're given a responsibility to care for your wife, to care for your kids, to care for your family. Listen to the way God describes this. In Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So Ephesians 5 is is interesting. So you ever see one of those posters where it's, it's a picture of something, but if you stare in the middle and kind of do your eyes cross thing, like another picture pops up, right? And you start to kind of go in and out, and go, oh, this picture, this picture, this picture, this picture. It's exactly what Ephesians 5 is. Ephesians 5 is that poster. It's a picture of Jesus Christ and his church, and it's a picture of a husband and a wife. Jesus Christ and his church. Husband and wife. They kind of zoom in and zoom out, zoom in and zoom out, back and forth, back and forth. So, when it comes to Ephesians 5, let's talk about just the husband and wife aspect of it. The way husbands, listen again to the language that we are called to in caring for our wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That he might present the church to himself as you present your wife, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. 
that she might be holy and without blemish. So, as a church, we believe the biblical teaching of what's called male headship. That brings with it a couple of things. With that is another term called complementarianism. Right? It's a big fancy word. It's very simple. Basically, it means men and women have different roles in the home and in the church. But these roles, while they're different, they complement one another. Right? They're, we're complementarians. We believe that men and women are different in design and purpose and function. But these different designs are on purpose by God that they work together well and they complement one another. So this means... But for us a church, we believe the position of pastor is to be for a man. We believe God has created it in that way. Women have wonderful, powerful roles in the church and the kingdom of God. We believe the position of pastor is for a man and the same thing for a home. We believe that the husband is the head of the home. So, gentlemen, here's what this means. It is not up for debate or discussion whether you are the head of the home. Right? That's not an option. Right? You are. You, you, are the, you are the head. The question is, do you stink at it? Right? It's like if you have an umbrella with a hole in it. It doesn't stop being an umbrella. It's just a really lousy umbrella. Gentlemen, you are the head. It's just a matter if you have a hole in your head or something. I don't know. I don't know. That analogy fell apart. So... I'm going to be honest for a second, and I, and I told the first service, I know church is no place to be honest, but I'm going to give it a shot. Um, for a long time, I was a really, really lousy head. I just was. I, I didn't know what I was doing. And, and, and there's nothing worse than not knowing what you're doing, but thinking you do know what you're doing. You're tracking with that? Right? It'd be better to not know what you're doing and know you don't know, but to not know and go, I'm perfectly fine. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, he is a fool whose head is on fire, but says, I smell no smoke. My head was on fire, but I was like, I don't smell anything. What are you talking about? And it took some time for the Lord to kind of work in me. And, and I'll be honest with you uh, with this as well. It still can be hard. It, and maybe, you're like, every so often you got that one guy, and maybe you're that guy. There are some guys that are just Superman, like they got a cape tucked in their jacket. They're just awesome at everything, right? They never seem to struggle. They're the guys that always give their testimonies at church, right? He stands up here and is like, I used to drink and drug and chase anything with two legs. And then I turned six and met Jesus. <laughs> and he's like, now every day I wake up and Jesus physically meets me at the foot of my bed. He tells me what to do and I never struggle to obey. I'm like, Wow. That guy's amazing. Can we be honest? Like for the vast majority of us, that's not going to be our story, right? So if we're real for a minute, being, being a biblical head is hard. So, okay, so ladies, close your ears. Guys, just for a second. And so I'm going to say something, and when I say this, Eye contact, do not look to the right or the left, okay? Just fair warning. To love a wife in the exact selfish way, selfless way that Jesus loved us, that stuff's hard. That is not an easy gig. It is extremely difficult. You are laying your life down every single 
day. And there are days, truth be told, you don't feel like doing them. There are days where it's just not welling up, man. It is, it is an engine without oil. It is not working. There are some days where it is extremely, extremely hard. And the reason it's hard, the reason it's difficult, is because Satan knows how important and significant it is, and he desperately wants you to get frustrated with it and give up. He wants you to quit. He wants you to doubt God's goodness in empowering you to do this. He wants you to think the struggle is never going to be over. He wants you to think the problem is all her and not you. And if she just get it straight, then we'd be fine. He doesn't want you to look in the mirror in any significant way. There is a fight going on. And the problem, guys, for a lot of us is we're getting our rear ends kicked in a fight we don't even know we're in. And so I want to encourage you today, take the blinders off and see you're in a fight. You've been called to be the head. You've been given a responsibility. But Satan desperately wants you to be sidetracked by other things. Don't let him do that to you. Stay strong. This is why we need the body. Because you know what? Man, we're all going to struggle with this. And we're all going to need help and encouragement. And, and our brothers to come alongside and lock arms with us and pray with us. We all need that, me included. That's why we need this place. Don't just be the guy that comes and sits and then gets up and leaves and comes back in a few weeks and sits again and then leaves some more. You need this place. You need your brothers here. We can give testimony after testimony after testimony of men in this room who are going to stand up and say, the two most important things in my life over the last year has been what God has done for me and what the brothers in this room have been for me. That has completely changed lives. And you can have that changed life too. From what God is desiring to do in you and what your brothers in this room want to be for you, your life can be changed. Today can be that day where it starts. You've been given a responsibility. Don't shirk that. Jump in. Let's go. I'm telling you, we'll, we, we cannot drag you there, but if you're willing to go, we will walk with you every step of the way. If you're ready to go, let's go. You've been given a responsibility. Let's do that together. But the reason that responsibility is difficult is my next point. If you were to jump to chapter 3 in Genesis, you're going to see manhood is marred by sin. So in chapter 3, we see the story of Adam and Eve. The serpent comes and tempts Eve to eat the fruit. Eve gives to Adam. Adam eats the fruit. And then everything goes crazy. But I want you to notice two things. Even though manhood was God's idea, and even though it was very good, manhood was marred by sin. And sin entered into manhood through Adam, specifically doing two things. Look at verse 6 of chapter 3. And she, that's Eve, also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The first thing Adam did wrong was in doing nothing. The implication from the text here is this. As Eve is having a conversation with the serpent about eating this fruit, Adam, her husband, is standing right beside her. He hears the serpent lying. He hears the serpent twisting God's word. He hears the serpent luring his wife away. And he stands there and does nothing. One of the great sins of men today, specifically men in the church, 
to doing nothing, just sitting there. Gentlemen, it, so we're, we're, seeing the, we're seeing the tide turn here in this body. We're seeing God raise up some phenomenal men. God is doing amazing things. God is bringing in, people are just moving in from other parts of the country you know, moving in, whether it be through military or whatever, men strong in the faith. God is calling up men in this church. It's so good to see this, this force rising up of biblical manhood. But as you look at the church across America, that's not always the case. 60% of Christians are women. And the other 40% act like women. You go to the average guy in church and say, hey, could you stand up and just share for a couple of minutes uh, just a quick word from Scripture about what God's been doing in your life? The average man would say something like this. <laughs> Whew, that's really not my thing. You probably won't talk to my wife. Like, she'd be good at that. I don't really know if I would. The average man, the average Christian man, the, the struggle that we want to push back against, the sin we want to push back against is doing nothing. This is what Adam did. He did nothing and his wife was deceived and led away. The second thing he did was listen to the wrong person. This time it was his wife, verse 17. Because, this is God speaking to him when God confronts them over their sin, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Now, gentlemen, if you go home today and you attempt to quote that, vo that verse to your wife, and tell them the pastor said, I can't help you, okay? Just get fair warning, like, that's, it's going to go bad for you, and that's not my fault, all right? But for this situation, Adam listened to his wife and not God. Now, now if your wife is telling you something contrary to God, don't listen to her. But the idea bigger than that is, again, gentlemen, think about the big... The big things in your life you wish you could redo. A lot of it probably revolves around A, not doing something you should have done, or B, listening to the wrong person for advice. This is exactly what Adam did, and boom, sin entered into the world. And as a result of that, we are all, gentlemen, marred by sin. Sins of omission, not doing things that we should do. Sins of commission, doing things that we should not have done. We've all sinned against other people. We've all been sinned against. Not only just the sins that you commit, in a lot of ways there are things that have marred us as men, not because of bad things we did, but sins that were committed against us that shape us and mold us and deform us in a lot of ways. Living in just a sin-soaked world. We're just surrounded by this thing constantly. Sin has marred us. But... I want to encourage you with this. God has given an answer. And this answer is phenomenal. Manhood is redeemed through sonship. I love this. Listen to Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God didn't just save you. God didn't just say, all right, when you die, instead of going to hell, you're going to go to heaven. 
It's much broader than that. Ultimately, what God did is, the point of salvation isn't so much that you don't go to hell, but you go to heaven. The point of salvation isn't that your sins are taken away from you. As much as it is in salvation, you are becoming a son of God. And as a result of becoming a son of God, your sins are taken away from you. Your, your ultimate home is in heaven and not hell. Everything revolves around you being God's son. The most important thing about you is that you are God's son. I remember about 10 or 12 years ago, um, I was in a bad place, just personally. I, uh, I didn't enjoy being a Christian. Uh, I didn't enjoy being a pastor. I struggled to find a lot of joy in being with my family. And it wasn't anyone's fault. It was all on me. Everything felt like a chore, like a challenge. I felt like, the, the, the way I describe it is, I felt like in my life I was rolling down a hill and I would grab I would like, a, like, a, like a, a cliff and I would reach out to grab for a branch to catch myself, but the branch would just pull out and I would just keep rolling faster and faster. I just felt that in my life. Like, just, I couldn't get any traction. I couldn't get anywhere. I just, everything felt hard. Everything, just everything in my life felt like I was running in quicksand. It was just not a good place to be. So I reached out to a friend of mine who has a counseling ministry near where we lived. And I said, hey, we need to go get some lunch. So we met at a Panera Bread. And we sat down and he said, so what's up? I said, well, I, um, I think I'm broken. Like something's wrong with me. Everything that I know in my head is to be true. I'm having a really, really, really difficult time receiving it in my heart and walking that thing out. Like there's just blocks. It's just... Something's up. It's okay. So we chat for a little bit, and then he looks at me and he said, well, let me just ask you this. He said, who are you? I'm, I'm Brad. He said, no, 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 no. Who are you? I'm, the, I'm a husband and a dad. He said, no, 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 no. Who are you? I'm a pastor. Who are, I was like, all right, I said, stop them at that point. Like, oh, clearly there's something you're looking for here. I am not giving you. You tell me, who am I? He said, Brad, the one thing that you're missing is you have forgotten the fact that the most important thing about you is that you are a son of God. You're trying to find your value, your worth, your meaning, your purpose in being the best you you can be being the best husband or dad, being the best pastor, having people view you as successful. You're, you're finding, trying to find meaning and value and worth in all these other things. The most important thing about you is the fact that you are God's son. And everything else, being a follower of Christ, being a husband, being a dad, being a pastor, all, being a friend, all those things are going to flow out of being a God's son being God's son, but if you are not walking in the reality of the fact that you are ultimately God's son, nothing else, nothing else is going to fulfill you. From there, I spent several months with him in counseling, walking through this. 
resetting my heart on what it means to just be a son of God, to live out of that. And I'm constantly reminding myself of this. I'm constantly seeking to set my heart on the fact that the most important thing about me is that I'm God's son. I'm God's son. And because I'm God's son, I get to experience all that he has for me. His forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, his love, eternal life with him in heaven. Empowerment to love my wife and love my kids and love my church and serve in Jesus' name. All because ultimately I'm God's son. So for you both men and women, but specifically for our guys today. Do you really understand the most important thing about you is that you are God's son? Nothing else. I, I want to encourage you. I'm going to ask our band to come up. I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads for a moment. God delivers men from their sin and restores them to biblical manhood by making them his sons. The most important thing about you is that you are a son of God. And the ability for everything else God calls you to comes through living out your sonship. Because you're God's son, you get to walk in freedom from sin. Because you're God's son, you get to love your wife like Jesus has loved the church. Because you're God's son, you're empowered to love your kids in the way that God, your dad, loves you. Because you're God's son, you're able to be a blessing to those around you. Everything flows from being God's son. So my first question is this. Are you God's son? Have you turned from this world, turned from your sin, turned from all of these things, turned from everything that you're trying to get acceptance and value and worth from? Career, money, acceptance, relationships, whatever it might be. Have you truly turned from those things and said, Jesus Christ, I repent of that, I turn from that. Make me new. Make me a son of God. If you haven't, I want to encourage you right here today. Let's do that. There is not a better day to become a son of God than on Father's Day. Come on. It's almost like you were predestined for this. Today is your day. On Father's Day. God is calling you to turn from your sin, to turn from this world, to turn from yourself. Jesus Christ came and he died and he rose again so that when you trust by faith in him and say, Jesus Christ, I know that you died in my place for my sin. Forgive me of my sin. I turn from it. Make me a son of God. Today, let that be your prayer. In your own words, let that be your prayer. The scriptures are clear. If you confess your sin, believe in your hearts that Jesus died and rose again, confess him as Lord, you will be saved. Right now, do that. 
Jesus Christ had to give up his life in order to save you. Listen to me very carefully. Let's talk about salvation. Jesus had to give up his life in order to save you. Guys, you must give up your life in order to be saved. This is not pray a prayer and then you're done. Are you truly desiring to walk away from this world and its sin and its desires and its passions and its lust? You are turning from that and turning just to Jesus and asking Jesus Christ to make you new and make you a son of God. If that is your heart, call out to God today. Ask him to do that and he will. And for those of you who are sons of God, I want to encourage you, okay? God, your great dad, doesn't call you out as much as he calls you up. He's calling you up to walk out the sonship that he has given you. You are a son of God. Walk in the realities of that. Again, like I said, this room is filled with men over the last year, year and a half who have trusted their lives to Jesus Christ and trusted the men in this room to be brothers and walk beside them and their lives have been changed yours can be too trust Jesus trust the men in this room let's see God do a great work in your life as well I want to ask just for a minute all of our guys uh, whether you're young you're a kid older I'm gonna ask all of our guys to stand just, just real quick, stand. I'm not going to have you come up front or anything like that. But if you just stand, I want to take a minute and pray over you. So all of our men. And if you're around someone that's your, uh, that your, you know, your son or your husband or granddad or whatever, you can kind of reach out and put some hands on him and pray for him. I want to take just a minute and lift you up, guys. Because, again, there is a battle what it means to be a man and so we want to lift you up pray for you and encourage you as a man of God the Lord would empower you to live out your life as his son so God I just pray for these men I thank you for them I thank you God that you are raising up men in this room to walk in the fullness of what it means to be your son. I ask you, God, for us as a church that you would give us a greater vision of what it would mean for us to create a culture here that calls men up to true sonship and biblical masculinity. We would seek to live that out. But I pray, God, for these men. It's going to start just individually. So I pray, God, for each of these men, for our young boys, all the way up to our senior men, pray, God, your hand and blessing on them. I pray, God, for those who are standing right now who may not know you, Lord, as their dad in truly way. I pray, God, that you would draw them to salvation. I pray for those who do know you as their dad, that you, God, would. God, increase in them an understanding of an empowerment what it means to live out your, as a son. Bless these men. Bless them. Pray God your hand upon them. Pray God they'd walk in 
humble submission to you, that, that you would use them to represent you on earth and live out the responsibilities that you have given them as your sons. Thank you. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Guys, have a seat for me again. As we end our time here this morning, our band is going to lead us. And we're not going to ask you to stand and sing. Uh, instead, I just want to encourage you just to kind of sit where you are and pray. Uh, you're welcome to come up front and pray if you'd like. Or you can pray right where you are. But we're going to take just a minute and just kind of set for you this, this vision of God putting a table before you. Offering for you all the good things that come from him as a dad. And asking you to come and take part. I want to encourage you to spend some time here this morning praying for that. That you would step out and grab a hold of all the good things that God has for you as your dad through faith in Jesus. That you would live out what it means to really be his son. So as our band leads us, I encourage you to spend some time just you and the Lord in prayer.
sinners, all you saints, come right in and find your grace. Bring it all to the table. Nothing he ain't seen before. All your sin, all your sorrow, and your sadness. There's a Savior and he calls. Bring it all to the table. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you, God, that you are our great dad, that you love us so much. We ask you, Lord God, that you would... you would freshly empower the men in this room to live out what it means to be your son, and that we will be forever changed by that. Thank you, Jesus. We love you with all of our hearts, and it's your name that we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you so much. Happy Father's Day. Have a great week. Yeah.